The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet talking book narrator Aaron Jones. Welcome to the Happy New Year edition of ACB Reports for January 2021. We'll hear from our guest in a moment, but first, this important announcement from the American Council of the Blind. The Board of Directors of the American Council of the Blind has voted to change the dates for the organization's 2021 virtual conference and convention. Due to the recent announcement of the 2021 Olympics, we are moving a week forward to enable convention attendees to enjoy the primetime Olympic broadcast in audio description said convention coordinator Janet Dickelman. The dates for the conference and convention have been changed to July 16th through July 23rd. The ACB banquet will be held on Thursday, July 22nd. The evening of July 23rd will focus on audio description and the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Again, the virtual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind will be held July 16th through July 23rd, 2021. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Since 2001, Aaron Jones has been a talking book narrator at the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky. During the 2020 Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind, She described her job and discussed the challenges of ever-changing proper pronunciations. Thank all of you for being here, there, and everywhere. I am selfishly disappointed that this is not in person. As long as we've been doing this, it sometimes seems that we read books in a vacuum because we don't actually, you know, see the person choose the book and decide to pick up, you know, one of the books that we've recorded. So it seems sometimes that we put the work and care and precision into narrating a book, and then it just floats away, maybe never to be heard by anyone. (laughs) But the few times I have been able to go to conventions and meet people are like a big hug, and those are sorely, sorely missed these days. I called my presentation, You Say Potato, I Say Whatever NLS Tells Me I Can Say, Because correct pronunciation and changing accepted sources is what I have been schooled in as an audiobook narrator. The words are the building blocks of what we do. And the part of the work, hopefully, you as the reader rarely have to think about. I mean, in terms of the the preparation and the background and making sure we get it right. I cringe to think of my early work. I struggled by the syllable in the pronunciation of foreign words. And if I didn't have the help of our editors, I would be completely lost back then. It's painful to think how green I was and how much I didn't know. At APH, the editors do the heavy lifting and, to mind our P's and Q's, have pronunciations written out and sourced. But we as narrators have access to all their work, which is a blessing. I have always spent a lot of time with the book before getting in the studio 
and would write in pronunciations so I didn't have to stop and look to the side for cues, effectively ignoring my mother's rule against defacing books. I had scribbles and cat scratches all over my pages on books that require it. Today, rolling with the changes, we are mostly recording ebooks, so no more cat scratches. When I started recording, we were recording on reel-to-reel tape. Corrections would take more than twice as long as they do now. And yes, in emergencies, the tape could be spliced with a piece of scotch tape. I feel so old suddenly. Before I really get into it, I want to say unequivocally how very, very proud I am to be an NLS narrator and how proud to be working with APH, a company with such a long history with talking books. I would also like to thank publicly the many hardworking and unsung editors and proofreaders at APH who have always helped me put my best foot forward. I always felt like an intellectual lightweight compared to them. They were my education, their research, preparation, and guidance, not to mention the great variety of experience and expertise each of them has brought to the work, have helped me navigate the many varied and changing, wonderful, colorful hoops we have to navigate as representatives of the National Library Service. Very high standards, and rightly so. A curious but understandable rite of passage in the early career of any NLS narrator is what I affectionately call word snob. You find yourself in non-narrator company wanting to correct people's pronunciation. You learn quickly to bite your tongue when you want to say, you can't say it that way, or I don't care if you heard a news anchor say it that way, it's not correct. I went through it for a teeny tiny bit but I wanted to keep my friends and family. Besides, I love variations in speech as I love variations in people. Language is liquid. Our language expression is shaped by geography, by family and friends and education and work. I get a kick out of how people express themselves, how their language can be so different from mine. I like a wordsmith, somebody who uses words really well, and, and poets, and people who just have us like words and like to use varied words. But my personal preference is someone who needs few words to communicate their meaning. I also like an unknowing or intentional Mr. or Mrs. Malaprop, just for kicks. I was driving to the Keys once with a friend, and she waved her arm out the window and said, Look at all those tiny, uninhibited islands. <laughs> I just smiled. I had a dear friend much older than me, and he only had a 10th grade education. He would do things like confuse the words immigration and integration. But I wouldn't correct him because I knew what he meant. Besides, he was sensitive about his derailed education. His life shaped his language. He was a craps player and a mechanic, so his language was peppered with boxcars, snake eyes, Yo Levin, and automotive metaphors. He got so mad that his nephew and the younger crowd called him OG, as in old gangsta. I told him it was an honorific. He said, a what? They calling me old. I was youngish when I started. Notice I said youngish when I started at APH. It seems young now anyway. 
I had a lot of book learning to do, even though I already had a bachelor's degree. Source, source, source was rammed into our brains. In the old days, paper sources. Say how, NLS's own many, many typed curled pages sitting on the shelf in your studio. How Jay Say online was used a lot, but I never found out who Jay was. He had a British accent. He was Jay. This is before the wonderful Forvo with its recorded native pronunciations, but it also had a distorted audio quality. I really love that we can now use Forvo as a source in the lurch, but two people can listen to the same recording, and one will say, I heard a circumflex O, and the other will say, short O, and a third will walk into the room and say, long O, definitely. These were the days when we could all be in a large resource room together, thumbing through dusty paper dictionaries. I really miss those days. I don't like all this isolation. I like to see my colleagues and talk to them in a narrow hallway without worried I'm too close to them. But seriously, I loved all those preferred sources. I never spent so much time with so many dictionaries until I worked at APH. The Random House, Webster's, the Geo. I never knew there were so many places or that it is Beaufort in South Carolina, but Beaufort in North Carolina. The bio, uh, one of our former studio directors used to call the bio the dictionary of dead white men. They were not altogether wrong. But, you know, you go through the bio and you look at a, a British name like, well, it, it looks like Chumundly, but it's really pronounced Chumley, or uh, Featherstone Hall, which is really pronounced Fanshawe. And this is the sort of thing you would never know if you weren't an audiobook narrator, maybe, or spent a lot of time poring over these dictionaries. Uh, also, uh, it's only Beauchamp if you're in France. In England, it's Beecham. We had so many uh, resources, you know, in our large resource room. We still do, but we're in there one at a time, maybe, and because of the uh, advancements and all the info on the internet. We don't use those sources as much as we used to, but uh, there's a whole list uh, outside the Webster's and the uh, Random House. There's the Longman's or the Gaz, as it is affectionately known. If you can't find the pronunciation of a place in the Columbia Gazetteer, it doesn't exist or isn't a part of the world that unfortunately nobody spends much time thinking about. There was the PDPN, which is the Pronouncing Dictionary of Proper Names, the Chambers, the Unger's Bible Dictionary, the Dorland's Medical Dictionary. I really, really didn't know so many different dictionaries exist. Looking for a solid, approved source was like a treasure hunt sometimes. And that's what I love about the verbal challenges of being a narrator, especially in regard to the pronunciation of foreign words. I had only two years of high school French, but I was often required to pronounce more than just a few foreign words here and there in languages I had no experience with, or even hard to find pronunciation guides in, for example, Native American tribal languages. I once did a large biography of Irene Nemirovsky, a Russian-French writer. The biography included many of her writings and took me about six to eight weeks. Many lengthy poems were all in French. There was so much French in that book that a few weeks in, I noticed I was having a growing pain in my upper neck, my jaw, and the back of my tongue. It was getting worse, and I was starting to be really worried. 
And then I realized it was from the constant pulling back of the tongue required by French. My tongue was sore at the back, a deep muscle soreness. That's how much French was in that book. A couple of years after that, I got to narrate a collection of her stories called Dimanche, which was really, really good. You should check it out. Being a narrator for NLS requires extreme adaptability because you could be reading a nonfiction account of the history of computers one week, which I did, and I can't remember the title, but it was an amazing book, pretty short, about how the silk manufacturers in France, the way they would program the looms, essentially, with these punched cards, were the basis for all computer knowledge <laughs> going up to IBM. It was really fascinating. But then I might be reading something like that one week, and the next week I'd be reading a teen dystopian novel. So it helped to be light on your feet. <laughs> you know, in theater, you get, you know, four weeks of rehearsal and then hopefully at least four weeks of a run of a play. But uh, we're transferring material, biography, autobiography, cookbooks, histories, and on and on and on. The thrill for me is the variety of material. By now, you can imagine that I loved, loved, loved doing those uh, story collections like the Pushcart Prize and uh, the science fiction collections edited by Gardner Dozois. I didn't even like science fiction before I started narrating books, but I, I came to like it. And I really liked to be able to do uh, those massive story collections. The variety is what I love. I've always been a put-me-in-coach-I'm-ready-to-play type narrator and general employee. I like to keep busy. I like to be challenged and to be shoved out of my comfort zone. And I do have to be shoved sometimes. But back to those colorful hoops we jumped through for NLS. I personally love the precision of them. Even though I make mistakes and my brain and tongue often want to flaunt them, thank goodness I have a minder in the form of a hard-working editor used to be called Monitor, who has to listen to me for two hours at a time and correct me with the push of a button. I actually polled my coworkers about pronunciations required by NLS at one time or another and hearing complaints over the years and seeing those correction sheets written up by proofreaders, I thought there would be a lot more. Turns out it is odd little things that get our heads shaking. The rest is grudging respect for the standards. Grudging only in that we as narrators at APH lose income on corrections, which is why it helps to follow the rules. Teensy regional variations of pronunciations like not being aware in your own speech that you insert an SH sound in the word grocery, grocery or grocer, or adding the hard G in coat hanger, coat hanger instead of coat hanger. We do that in the South a lot. Were it not for me stumbling into a performing arts high school at 15 and trying to iron out my Kentucky blue-collar childhood, you might hear me say, geez, Manise, throw the ball. We said throw when we were children. We, I don't know if we didn't know there was an R in there, or that's just how everybody said it, so that's how we said it. Naturally, at APH, we try to follow the standards, rules, and preferences to a T. But it is always a battle between the preference, the vernacular, Narrator, editor, proofreader specific quirks, regional differences in pronunciation, and what our approved sources say. For example, you don't say Chartres Street in New Orleans. It's Charters there. It's Charter Street. 
At one time, the NLS preference for New Orleans was New Orleans. NOLA holds a bevy of examples of local indigenous pronunciation examples. And in our closing announcements at APH, I stick to my hometown guns and say Louisville, Kentucky, instead of Louisville. I do not live in Louisville. I live in Louisville. Something tells me I'll be getting corrections on that now. You see where I'm going. There are preferred pronunciations, man-on-the-street pronunciations, and proper pronunciations, which is what we strive for, absolutely. That doesn't mean we are not annoyed by certain NLS preferences or random house absolutes. Here are a few which my coworkers suggested I include. It is angst, not angst. And we have plenty of angst going around these days, right? This is one that always makes our skin crawl, but it's the absolute definition. The word is secreted, never secreted. It's secreted. It is an old-timey and what sounds like chiefly British frequented, not frequented. Even though you usually say, you, I think you can say you frequent a place, but you have to say frequented. Same with the used to be preferred and correct short-lived, not short-lived although I think we can get away with that one now. Only wine and cheese are aged. Persons are aged, although the dictionary may offer more wiggle room on that too. What if you are speaking of an aged feature of a person, like their hands? This is the kind of thing that to this day we will stop and check and mull over. Cows do not low, they low. And yet when speaking of a stormy sky, it is lowering, not lowering. One can be bowed or bowed. It depends on the circumstance, and definitions can be very tricky. To bend like a bow is usually bowed. Check out definitions for bow and bow. They're very, very flexible. It can be bowline or chiefly bowlin. Once I learned all those nautical terms, my inner word snob would rise like the swell of the sea. Coxon, bosun, folksle. We have a great music, arts, and activism festival here called the Folksel Festival, but if I ever called it that, I'd have a small batch beer dumped on my head. Maybe it's because talking books have been around so long that we are still in a shift from more staid rules to acknowledging how language changes so very, very quickly. The preference used to be, for example, for the top of your face, forehead, not forehead. To me, forehead sounds Victorian. What if I'm narrating a contemporary teen novel? Do I move between the two, depending on the material? This brings in another NLS rule. If you can't be correct, be consistent, so you don't drive the listener crazy. It took me a few years to realize that when my editor, used to be called Monitors, would say, this is the NLS preference to correct me, it was more likely the monitor editor's preference to keep track of the pronunciation among the various narrators they work with for the sake of consistency. Here's one that I really couldn't believe. Uh, we used to have to say to describe a frown, a grimace. I have a grimace on my face. But now we can grimace and often do. When we weren't wearing a harsh grimace, we were learning how to laugh while counting. Annoying rule to laugh while capturing the exact number of ha's. Now I wonder if we were being had. How about the writer just writes, she laughed. Did any other studio have to count ha's? 
Do you know how difficult it is to recreate a natural laugh, bearing in mind the exact number of ha's? It's not funny. Another curious rule is no singing. I assume this is because not every narrator can carry a tune. But have you ever tried to speak the happy birthday song? I can't count the times I have had to, and it is not a happy experience. Try it sometime. Novels do sometimes include a verse of classic songs or popular music, and we have to speak them. The rule is no singing. I'm aware that certain narrators of cloud or studios that don't mind flouting the rule probably get away with singing, but I always follow the rule. Something about my Catholic upbringing, I'm sure. Following the rules. Well, one, one time. One time, and I can't even remember the title of the book or the author. But a car horn was described as sounding the refrain of Smokey Robinson's ooh, 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 baby, baby. Just the ooze. And it was comical. Every time this car slunk by, and I just could not, not sing it. So if you happen upon that book, you will hear me singing ooh, every time the car makes an appearance. Like most rules, they are all there to protect us, to keep production running smoothly lessen potential corrections, and head off any rejections at the pass. I've been narrating for 19 years, and the work has changed in many ways. I am still narrating for NLS One Recording Session four days a week. I still would like more work, and I hope I will be doing it for many years to come. In my third chapter, to ensure I have health care coverage, I am now working in child care, and I can tell you with absolute certainty that human beings need rules, routine, flexibility, and room to grow and change. But they also need occasional expressions of rebellion to coax the old timers to stretch out of their set ways and get with the changing times. Adaptability for young and old is now a life rule. No doubt about it. Erin, when did you start with APH? And was there a particular narrator that kind of was a mentor for you? I started in uh, 2001, and a mentor would have to be Mitzi Friedlander. She loved talking about her work. By the time I got there, she'd already been doing it 30 years or more. You could ask her anything, and in almost any situation, she'd have an answer for you. It's really hard, actually, to connect with each other. There's 11 total studios, but the bulk of them are off of a narrow hallway, and we uh, go into our little boxes and do our thing. Except for the research room where we used to congregate, which was like our break room, essentially. Everybody spent time in the research room. There's not actually a lot of places to stop and one-on-one um, -on -one have a conversation with people. And everybody usually has other things they have to rush off to. So uh, it was always great to have Mitzi or anybody give you advice. I know uh, when I first started, I came from a theater background. And the studio director then, Carol Stewart, said... Uh, that her experience was that uh, there were two types of narrators, essentially. People who came from theater, who probably punched up the dialogue a bit too much, but forgot about attending to the narration. Then she said people in broadcast would speak in very short, succinct patterns and maybe not put as much into the dialogue. She always said somewhere between the two is a nice place to be. I strive for that. And I've changed. My voice has changed. Just physically, my voice has changed over the years. I'm sure my delivery has changed. And really now it seems like the audiobook world is changing in general. Um, I think there's a lot more. And I, I've had feedback from different people over the years how they feel about 
they don't want you to overdo it because they want to be a participant the way anybody would reading a book that you're filling in some of the information in your own mind. But it seems like the commercial world is really kind of moving more towards really acting out audiobooks. They'll even have, you know, multiple narrators for books and stuff like that. So it does seem like it's changing. The great thing about the job, at least I think, because I love variety, is uh, it's not one job. <laughs> I mean, every book is a different job. So you're really adjusting to whatever material you're reading. Being an NLS narrator has definitely shaped me and my language, and I would not trade the experience for anything in the world. Thank all of you for being such voracious readers. That was talking book narrator Erin Jones from her presentation to the Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind on July 8, 2020. Her full presentation, along with the second one for the Library Users of America and Braille Revival League affiliates, can be found on the Convention Archives page at acbradio.org. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. The Alternative Media Center at the Internal Revenue Service provides a variety of services to assist visually impaired taxpayers. You will find links to accessible forms and publications, instructions on how to obtain accessible copies of notices or letters, and information about upcoming enhancements to IRS accessibility services. Visit irs.gov forms pubs information about the alternative media center. You can also learn more at irs.gov slash forms dash pubs slash accessible dash irs dash tax dash products. Visually impaired taxpayers who need assistance with a print notice or letter or need other information about the services available through the Accessible Media Center may call the IRS at 800-829-1040. That's 800-829-1040. That's it for this month. I'm Mike Duke, wishing you a happy new year as I begin my 16th year of hosting ACB reports for the American Council of the Blind. Stay safe and practice the personal hygiene you learned in kindergarten. You've been listening to ACB reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ACB Reports.